What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Pat. New year. New you. New ads. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. We've had a wonderful year of sponsorship by our four wonderful people that carried us throughout the year. Truly, the sponsorship that comes from these guys, Jason Furman, Mine's a wiener dog quip. <laughs> Jason was the first person to reach out, like episode one. Hey, I want to sponsor the show. We're yep. like, fuck off, mate. Then <laughs> <laughs> several months later, we're like, uh, we could do some of that money now, yep. Jason. So we apologize. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank mm. you so much. Mm. But truly, where I get all my dog-related items mm-hmm. is Einswick dog quip. And amazing hoodies. Yeah. No, I do have a really good hoodie from Jason. Yeah, I've got a great hoodie from Jason yeah. as well. But I continue to get all my stuff. When I need dog training gear, Jason's my first point of call. Yep. I just bought a meal off him again. for Another meal? Yeah, for my sister. Yep. I'm going to do some little meal content. He is incredibly generous and very supportive to the industry. He is. And doing amazing work on his weight loss as well. So go, Jason. His problem, though, is doesn't ship to the US. Oh, what an absolute turd burglar. Step in. Mac LaPointe. Mac LaPointe. Oh, you're talking Mark with a C, Kark LaPointe. <laughs> <laughs> Canine Dynamics. Yes. He's in Canada. Yep. But he's, well, he does service the whole world, but just stay out of Jason territory, fucking Mark LaPointe. North America. Who do you reckon would win between them? Mark's a cop. He has a gun. Yep. Jason has guns. Yep. I don't know. It'd be an interesting battle. If we can organise it. Let's do an MMA match between Kark LaPointe and <laughs> Furman. <laughs> Not really. Love them both. So if you're in North America and you want some dog gear, yep. Canon Dynamics, that's a place to get it. Yes, absolutely. Great range, really good website, very intuitive. It makes life so easy to order product. Yep. You know who else has been supporting the show for a long, long time? That would have to be the lady herself from Ashland, Virginia. Melanie the the train town. Yes, Melanie Benware. Yep. She does these little home school things. Yeah. And I think the reason that our listeners should be getting in contact with her is because they know someone mm. in Ashland, Virginia, that needs their dog homeschooled, or they want to learn about that kind of program themselves. And they, as a trainer, could book a session to get some time with Melanie Benware. And she's been busier than ever, which is great. Yeah. Hopefully, she's got some transactions from the canine paradigm. Yes, hopefully. Mm. You know where you could get. A killer Dutch Shepherd or German Shepherd? That would have to be the wonderful people, Patrick and Alicia Lockett from House Amberg. One and the same. Yep. That's them. If I were in Europe, and Europe's the place to get the dogs. Yep. If I were in Germany, that's where I'd go. But Mm. the good news is you don't have to be in Germany. They can ship all over the world. All over the world. Mm. You want yourself a sweet-ass Dutchie? Yep. Talk to them. Or a German Shepherd. I don't know why you'd want a German Shepherd, but if you do. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Wow. The best ones around will come from them. That's a sponsor killer in itself. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, those guys have supported the show for a long time. Jason from the start, Mark, Mel, and Patrick and Alicia at House Amberg, Shepherds. We really appreciate you guys supporting the show. And good quality people as well, good quality products. Moving forward on that, we only take those sponsorships from those guys because we know them, we trust them, we believe in them. Yep. Going forward into 2022, we know that some of you fucking fast forward these ads. Oof. Not everybody listens to the ads. Absolute disgusting. So we're thinking, we're not, nothing's set in stone, but we're thinking about changing the structure of the ads at the front to yep. give our sponsors better value and maybe just reading one each time and mm-hmm. then bringing more people into the rotation if that's something people are interested in doing. Yes. So stand by for information on that. So if you do want to be a 2022 sponsor and you're happy to continue with us, let us know. We'll be canvassing that shortly. But for those of you who have been supporting us, just like our wonderful listeners, we just want to thank you very, very much. Really appreciate everything you've contributed. All right. We love you. We do. Bye. Goodbye.
Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm at my house and I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook, who's at his house and we're separate because it's the apocalypse of rain. We just can't win. We just can't get a break, can we? <laughs> so it's been raining nonstop in Australia for what was it two weeks now, flooding everywhere and it's a disaster and a shit show, but life goes on. It is an absolute shit show. It's been very unfair that there's a lot of communities which are really copying it hard. I mean, Jason Furman's been showing videos of him being cut off from being able to get to work, being able to buy supplies, being able to send his mail out for his Ironswick products and so forth. Even my mate, Josh Blaile, who lives up near Lismore around that area, Mullumbimby, I think he lives near. On his Instagram feed, he was putting up footage of the local community and all the deluge that's around there, you know, like cars just washed into creek beds and creek beds that are literally washed in, into other people's homes and stuff. It's just terrible. I think what's even more disappointing is there's a real poor lack of response from the government at the moment, which is even worse. I mean, I'm sure that they will respond, but at the moment, their lack of support has been deafening. Yeah, well, that's to be expected, right? Anyway, at least we're not being invaded by Russia, so we're ahead there. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) We've been personally hit by it because our dural facility, although it hasn't been completely flooded out, it has been taking water to a level where it had to shut down the NDTF course because the field's been completely washed out. The kennels, Mm -hmm. there's so much water around at the moment, we've even evacuated the property just because we don't believe that it's entirely going to go under, but there's just so much water and the threat of a lot more to come. It could make the life of the animals uncomfortable. So we just thought we'll, we'll take them to another location. We'll keep Dural monitored and closed for the time. It's never happened in the entire time I've been here. We've never ever had to, apart from COVID, of course, which everyone had to, but we've never had to stop a course from going, you know, like we've run that course rain, hail and shine. And I literally mean Mm. that. I mean, I remember us doing assessments in the shed all huddled together while there was a massive lightning and hailstorm going outside and we just got speakers so we, everybody could hear each other talking and the show went on. But this time it's a whole different kettle of fish. Water is literally washing into the training studio and everything. It's just absolutely crazy. So we're all looking forward to this ending because it, it's insufferable and it's really uh, having a massive impact on people's lives. I think they've just had enough, especially in Australia, fires, then COVID, now back to flooding again after we got flooded last year. It's just too much. Yeah. It's really putting a damper oh, on people. Well. But anyway, when you hit rock bottom, let's let's hope that you just don't get a fucking jackhammer and keep going. Let's hope that we start to see some sunshine and some good times around the corner. Yeah. Hey, you had a quote you wanted to read. I do. I put it up in our blog from last week when we started talking about the prospect of building communities in our space, especially around our thoughts and our ideology in training. And this comes from Jordan Peterson, and I'm just going to read it. It's primarily focused around how you lose ground and don't even realize that you've lost ground. And I love the quote. I saw Jordan Peterson doing this on Joe Rogan when Rogan was asking him about How is it that some governments are just taking away so many rights of people? But it's not just about government. It's about a lot of institutions who seem to lose ground and then don't even realize that's happened. And the quote goes, Mm -hmm. if I encroach on you and I'm sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach two millimeters. I'm going to encroach right to the point where you start to protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. And then you're going to calm down. Then I'm going to encroach again, right to the point where you protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. And I'm just going to do that forever. And before you know it, you're going to be back three miles from where you started and you'll have done it one step at a time. And then you'll go, how did I get here? And the answer was, while I pushed you a little further than you should have gone and you agreed. Heavy. It is heavy. And it makes me think about what we've lost in the space of dog trainers in general. And we talked about this on Clubhouse the other day. There was like you and I periodically go in the Turtle Tits or the Lone Star Club that Casey and the crew have in there. And there's a small group, I think you've said before, it's an eclectic group of people who get together and it starts off talking about dog training and then it diversifies into all sorts of things, solving life's problems, the universe and everything around it. We were talking about it in there and it came into Casey's time in circuses because I know people personally who've been in dog training and said, I want to see the end of animals in circuses. 
And I've said back then, and I remember one of my early mentors, Alec Jones, said, we need to think about this because the more we're protesting about shutting down another animal group's rights to operate, that's going to be one nail in the coffin. Mm. Yes, there was some dodgy business going on, but what I think would have been better is if the community got together and said, with the circuses and so forth, we have higher standards that we would like to see in the animal care and how the animals are treated and how the animals are trained. And then we'll agree to it. And if you can raise the bar to those standards, then yes, you can continue to operate in your trade and do what you want to do. For some time now, as an operator in this industry, surrounding myself by some very academically minded people in as far as laws and procedures and policies and so forth, I've been a part of some really sophisticated conversations where people have put forward ideas like that and around that area where they have suggested that better forms of education and creating better policy around it are the way to go. And that really is the best way for all of this to proceed. It's about sitting down and creating a think tank with all the stakeholders and saying, there are a lot of people who don't like it or feel uncomfortable or really don't know much about it. Let's change that and let's educate everybody. But let's educate the people Mm. who don't know on what it's about and let's educate the people who do know on how to raise the bar and improve standards. You and I have talked about this on this show multitudes of time. It's been a conversation that we've had on an ongoing basis. And I really believe that that's the best way to do it. But I'm yet to see that happen where we actually all can come to the table. And instead of people feeling like I'm going to lose, I need to up the ante here and I need to take something away in order for the other person not to win. I don't understand why as human beings that we can't cooperate better together because the fear for me, as we said on the last show, and I don't want to make it all about what we spoke on the last show because we did a good job. I think we did a reasonable job of speaking about it. But the problem is, is the short-sightedness of people. Sometimes people think, well, in my generation, it's not going to happen to me, so it doesn't really matter because I won't lose. It's more about the me than the we. What I'm concerned about is they don't see the acceleration in that sometimes and they don't see that it accelerated faster than they believe and all of a sudden the rights and the freedoms that were afforded to them are now under threat and the very people that they were hoping would come to back them won't do it because they don't trust them anymore. They've lost confidence in them. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see our communities Even the communities that I'm not involved in, I don't want to see us losing so much ground all the time and then not being awakened to the problem that we're all pawns in a power game of a higher entity, such as the group Peter. We've discussed Ingrid Newkirk's mandates. Hopefully, the people, the board that runs Peter have had some time to think about that and modify those thoughts. But they really do sit on a belief system that domestication of pets and so forth are really not in the best interest of pets at all and to remove them entirely. So the people who are saying, we want this style of training, we want that style of training, we want to see this done with dogs, we want to have these breeds, they don't realise it's all under threat. All of it is. As Jordan Peterson's quote highlights, there is so much ground that you will lose because these people never fucking stop. They are relentless in their cause. They raise a lot of money and they keep going and they keep pushing. And we just think, oh, well, we haven't lost much, so it doesn't really matter. But we didn't realize that we're back three miles from the start line. We're in the negative Mm. ground sometimes. That's the concern. Now, I'm not saying this to put a dampener on this in this podcast. I don't want this to be a neg podcast. I want this to be something that people, I want to invoke critical thinking here. I want people to, to think about how as communities we can better get together. Your thoughts and solutions to this was improving and building the ISCP. And I agree on that. There's been some foundation shaking in the ISCP. That's always going to happen. Every time that movement happens, there's going to be people that are happy, unhappy, really unhappy, pissed off, and people who don't want to be involved anymore. 
And that's going to happen. That's going to happen with every sort of organization that happens in businesses. Hell, that happens in family units. That's just the fact Mm -hmm. of life. What we need to do as communities is we need to look at this with thinking big with this, like going large with the whole picture of this and thinking to ourselves, we can't let this become personal. The ICP or any organization, whatever it is, where all of us can come together, we should be recruiting people. Every person that's in there should be trying to bring in two more people or any organization. It doesn't, I'm just talking about an organization that will stand up and will stand up and will create the policies and will sit down with the stakeholders and will get people to the table. That's what we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking clearly and we need to be thinking big and long-term about this. Otherwise, we're all fucked. There's a lot to talk about there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did you ever watch that show 24? Did you ever watch that? You know, Jack Bauer? Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, yep. I used to love that show. Like Jack Bauer was a really complicated character because at the core of what he did, he's a good guy, right? Like he saves the world multiple times in the series 24. Mm. But he's a complex character because he does a lot of bad things in the name of being a good guy. Right. And he's interesting because he's, he's one of those, like the ends justifies the means. He always was trying to save the world or doing whatever, but there's parts where he would execute people. He would torture people. He would do all kinds of things that were very illegal. Right. And very outside of his rules of engagement within like the construct of the job that he had. But in his mind, he was like, well, it doesn't matter what I do along the way it only matters that I'm successful in my outcome because my outcome is so important. And it came at great cost to him as a character, you know, he lost his family. And at one point, like he, I can't even remember, but I think he has to go into hiding, has to fake his own death. Like there's all these things, right? Like, and I think as a character, it's extremely complex and it's a heavy burden to take when you decide that the ends justifies the means that you'll go outside of the realm of truth, Mm. outside of the realm of law because you feel so strongly about something that you think, well, this is how it has to be. And I got kind of a bit terrified of that many years ago when I was kind of new to the civilian dog world and the greyhound racing was banned here in New South Wales. Do you remember that? Mm, I do. And so the report that they used to ban that was full of errors. There was not just errors as in mistakes. There was just flat out lies in it, right? There was a lot of untruths. There were people quoted as being breeders, raisers, and trainers of greyhounds here in New South Wales. And the guy was actually in the States. They were referencing him as a a member of the community here in New South Wales. And he was not only not a member of that community, he was in a whole nother country. There were a lot of people in the dog industry. I remember in the Balance Symposium, there was big discussions about it. And there were a lot of people that were in support of it. And I think money has a, a gross way of fucking up a lot of things. I'll admit, I've been to the Greyhound Racing. It's fucking fun, right? <laughs> like I have had a wonderful time at the Greyhound Racing many times. And I'm sure that there are parts of that industry that did things that were unpleasant. And I'm sure that there probably was enough data, real data, to support reform. And, and in the end, you know, for people like you know, listening that are outside of New South Wales, that is what ended up happening. They didn't end up banning it, but there was significant reform mm. because cooler heads prevailed. But I think the reason that cooler heads prevailed was because they realized the cost of, of it, right? Like the gambling cost. And I think also that the horse racing industry probably did exactly what you're talking about there. And the horse racing industry to an extent lent some money to the greyhound racing industry because they knew this is step one and we're step two, right? And there's far less money in greyhounds than there is in in horses. And they realized, hey, we should probably make sure that doesn't get banned so that we're not, our heads aren't on the chopping block next. But I remember having this conversation with some people about, hey, the report's inaccurate. The report is really inaccurate. Their findings are not accurate. People were happy that the ends justified the means, right? They were happy that people had decided, industry people had decided that they didn't like greyhound racing. They didn't like the way it was done. And for the most part, those people worked in rescue and dealt with greyhounds, right? And saw the aftermath of unwanted dogs that are being bred. And, and that gross term that's you know accurate, but gross, that wastage. Remember, they, they referred to a lot of the greyhounds mm. as wastage, right? It's gross to say of dogs. 
And then there was mass graves that were found and and at the banding that it turned out that had unforeseen events where a lot of people just were like, oh, well, I'll just kill all my greyhounds, right? Because I can't afford to. I think when people think of greyhound racing, they think of the big races and they forget that there's all these much smaller regional races where there isn't a lot of money involved, right? And people are just kind of doing it more as a hobby and a bit of a passion and not really making a lot of money from it or any money really. And when you can no longer do it, you've got this greyhound that costs, you know, this fleet of dogs that cost you money, they had to go. Anyway, so I think it became really scary for me. And I ended up saying in a comment one day online, I said to someone, hey, in a few years, when I say, remember how we got fucked over badly in the dog industry and legislation was written based on incorrect data, you're going to have to ask me whether I'm talking about greyhound racing or BSL because it's the same thing, Right. So I think it's very scary when people jump onto the bandwagon of the ends justifying the means. We could look at greyhound racing and say, hey, things have to change there. And some people wanted it banned. We could look at the data and go, this is inaccurate and incomplete data. And to many people, they were like, yeah, but I still want greyhound racing banned. Based on the truth of what I know, I'm going to turn a blind eye to that incomplete and incorrect data that's within that report that is leading to the banning. And I think that's the really scary thing is when you allow it to happen in one spot where it supports your cause, that's what you want to happen. Then when you see it happening somewhere else, then you're like, hey, hey, stop. This is incorrect and incomplete data. But it's too late. You already supported that same action when it was something that you followed and now that they're coming for you, you want the data to be correct. So that's what gets really scary for me. And I think that's one of the problems that we have in our industry is that we're all motivated. We all have our own feelings about certain things, right? Like we want certain parts of the industry to flourish and we would prefer that other parts of the industry sort of atrophy and die. And probably everybody has a bias, like they sit on a spectrum of that somewhere and we all have different things that we're into and different things that we don't care about. But I think that we all have to really hold ourselves accountable to the accurate data in the making of the decisions of these things and the reference to experts in the presentation of that data. And you know that data being accurate and not emotional. I think that's something that as an industry, we really need to focus on and hold each other and hold ourselves to account and look at things you know, when something happens, even if it's what you wanted to happen, make sure that it's happening for truthful and accurate reasons and even go into bat for the opposite of what you want because the process was not what you would want. It's not the process that you would want if it were your issue that you really cared about. I think that's kind of the crux of it. I think that we kind of need to all defend each other. And I think what we need to do is listen to the experts in the fields and ensure that any push from any organization or from anybody is done not just by an emotional issue on it, but a a true data issue on it, right? Where we're like, hey, this is a fact. This is not above board. This is what whatever, but we have the the data on it and we're not going to make anything up. And I think that's kind of an indicator for people when if what you want to happen is only going to happen with falsified data, then what you want to happen probably doesn't need to happen, right? Like, and I think that's that point of reflection where you need to look in and say, I'm issue motivated here. I'm pushing for something because it feels important to me and I have my personal reasons, but those personal reasons probably aren't enough to radically alter the course of the industry because it might seem like a little thing to you and your issue but it gives cause to the the notion that it's okay to use false data to change the way that we do things. And I think that is exactly the path that we're on with many things at the moment, I think. And we spoke about it last week. It's still a hot topic. It's still, I hear it a lot. I see a lot of posts about it. I see a lot about the issue of that e-collar study where the idea was one set of dogs were being trained positive only and the other set were being trained with punishment. And it turned out that the dogs that were meant to be being trained positive only were actually wearing halties and being dragged around by the face, like clearly having an aversive experience during the training that was meant to be positive only. That study was used. That's the data that was used to ban e-collars and it doesn't hold up. Now you might want e-collars banned and you might have your own personal reasons for that, 
but you need to present real accountable evidence. You can't falsify it if it's what's going to cause such a radical shift within our industry. I think I even mentioned this last week, but that's why I appreciate Friendly Geordies on YouTube for that very reason is that when a lot of these agencies and especially high-ranking government officials will start to use studies for their political advantage, they primarily get on there and say, hang on a minute, here is a fucking paper trail from your offices contradicting yourself at least 30 times. And they literally hold these people to account and they burn them at the stake because the people that are running the organisation, Friendly Geordies, they don't care. They can't be stopped. And some people look at it and go, oh, he's a petulant child just going on a revenge-based rant against the Liberal Party. But if you look at a lot of their reporting, he's primarily focusing on any government agency or individual that are using studies or trying to do something dodgy and get away with it on false pretenses. The reason I like that or the reason I admire that is because we need a lot more of that in this industry. When I watch and when I've been privy to the workings of the Watchdog Committee with IACP, that needs more funding and that needs more members to help out because primarily what we need to do is we need to be able to hold people to account and say, your study is falsified and incorrect and here is the evidence to support it. And if you proceed with anything further than this, we are going to literally put it out to all the masses, to everybody. We'll put it on YouTube. We'll put it everywhere. You won't be able to open your cereal packet without it leaping out and being in front of your face. It'll be everywhere. And you will be the person responsible for it because you're endorsing this fictional study. That's what needs to happen. And the reason these studies keep going on is because there's not enough people putting their hand up to do the work. And that's what we need more of in more organisations. You and I were talking about, before we turn the microphones on, our frustrations within just clubs, like club frustration in not being able to facilitate the clubs the way you need it to do, to not be able to get people to follow through with the practice or the routines that they're supposed to do. And there's a long, steeped history of that. Like a lot of clubs feel that frustration. And that's because... People find it difficult to be motivated to do some of these things sometimes. Let's talk about Friendly Geordies for argument's sake. There's not a lot of people who'd be willing to do that. A, they'd be way too afraid to do it. And B, people just think, why would I be fucked? What's in it for me to sit there and study all the documentation of all these politicians? Like really what's in it for me? There's not riches or anything. There's not, I'm not really going to be immortalized in the hallmarks of legends. I'm literally going to be scarred forever as a cur dog for bringing people undone. But when you look at the comments, there's a lot of people who actually really, really appreciate that finally there is some honesty and people are being educated by what's really going on. Because what we do see in a lot of those examples There's just nobody to oppose them. There's no real opposition taking place. Let's jump back onto the government for argument's sake. Any government. Let's not talk about just our government. Let's talk about governments in general. Like when they have a press release or any sort of discussion, they handpick the people who come to their press release. Like there's not really anybody who's there to oppose what they're saying. They've got people that they know who are going to turn up and ask them all the right questions so they're not made to feel uncomfortable and therefore they don't have to be painted in a bad picture and it costs them their job ultimately. Those people are all cherry-picked. It's no wonder that people remain largely uneducated about what's going on because they're working with a cherry-picked audience that is there to support the person who is delivering the information. And that's why we're severely lacking with what we actually get out to the general public. That's why still to this day, which bewilders me with the power of the internet and the reach that it has since I became a dog trainer, is there's still people so largely uneducated that when you open up some of these forums, they're asking questions that people would ask in groups 30 years ago, and yet there is a swag of information out there, an absolute swag of information. But you need to be motivated to go and find it. You need to get off your ass and go and look for it because really there are very few iconic people who have got up and said, fuck it, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to light these on fire and throw caution to the wind because really if I don't do it, nobody else will. I've had quite a few 
emails, text messages over the last few weeks of people asking that we do an episode on motivation mm. and people who are struggling with motivation, you know, not people who have in the past. So like not new people to the industry, people who have been around a while and struggle with motivation. I sort of have said to them all, yep, it's something we can definitely work on. But secretly I'm like, dude, I'm struggling with my own motivation. <laughs> I'm having a hard time myself. And I think it's this constant bullshit. And I'm sure that people are sick of us talking about it. I'm sure that a lot of people, when they realize we're talking about similar stuff to last week, they probably turned off the fucking podcast. You know, it's fucking unrelenting. Every time I go online, there's another organization trying to ban stuff, right? There's another organization trying to fucking take our tools from us. Just last week was the final week for submission here in New South Wales, where the Animal Cruelty Act, they're looking to change. And part of the provisions is that an animal can't be trained to fight anything. And so, of course, it's designed to cover dog fighting. Of course, I don't want to train a dog to fight another dog. But then when you keep reading, it's going to cover bite sports because they're going to say that an animal can't be trained to bite a person. And there's no provision. There's actually a provision specifically to allow for rodeo. They say that like, oh, yeah, but we're not talking about rodeos. But they don't say we're not talking about bite sports. We're not talking about dog sports. And so it's like another thing that I had to write during the fucking week trying to show some level of, you know, show like, hey, there's a gap here. You've been pushed by an issue motivated group and there's going to be flow on effects. There's going to be things for this. And, and it's just, it grinds you down, man. It fucking grinds you down where you're like constantly having to, you know, all I want to do is train dogs really well, right? Like all I want to do is train dogs to the maximum of my effective capability. And for me, you know, layer on top of that, like, you know, most dog trainers feel like that. They just want to train dogs to the maximum of their effective capability. And for me, I feel a strong urge to, to train what I know how to do to other people. That's, that's, that's really my strength. Um, I'm like, I've, I've said a million times, I'm pretty good on the tools of the dog, but I'm much better at training what I know to other people. And I just want to do that. I don't want to have to be fighting for the ability to do that. Like it's fucking frustrating and it's unrelenting. And I think part of the issue, why, why I'm feeling it currently. And I think so many people in the industry are feeling it is, you know, COVID sort of ground everything to this halt. And I think everybody just got, well, certainly I did. I won't speak for anybody else, but certainly I thought that I'm just going to be able to start again, right? Like where every, it's not a, you know, we all said it, it's not a stop, it's a pause. Time will pass and like, we'll be able to get at it. And now in some instances where, you know, some countries are saying it's over and we're getting back to normal. And in others, we're slowly sort of catching up to that. But it's kind of like when you're pushing a car, you know, like where you keep it moving, it's easy to keep moving. But when it fucking stops, it is hard to restart. And I think that is what a lot of the industry is kind of in at the moment. And for the people who just want to do their work and plot along, like that's where they're at, right? They came to a stop and now they're trying to sort of get going on a bigger scale. You know, they're probably training dogs throughout, like everybody kind of kept working in one way or another, but getting it going to like talking to people, engaging with people meaningfully, being able to develop, going to in-person events, that kind of stuff, like that's fucking hard to get going again. And I think that's what, so certainly that's been a big struggle for me. And, you know, as we were just discussing before, it's why we're talking about the club is that it's been a massive struggle here in Australia to get PSA going, right? Like it's been a really big struggle. I started with PSA because a guy contacted me. I'd never, like I, I was kind of vaguely aware of PSA, but a guy contacted me and wanted me to train his dog and to title it in PSA. He fell off the scene, but you know, that's when I looked into it and was like, holy shit, this game's awesome. Like I want to do this. What has been so frustrating about it is the opposition that came up for it from the fucking dog sport community. And we've been through this a million times. We've explained it on the podcast and we've explained that essentially some of the relics who are still at the, the head of a lot of the dog sport communities in Australia have made it nearly impossible for me to grow PSA. And what's annoying is that I speak to people in the community and they tell me what PSA is. Just the other day, someone's telling me about what PSA is and are grossly inaccurate, grossly inaccurate. And I'm like, I don't know how much more I can fucking do to try and convince people of what's involved in this because the rumor gets spread around through the IGP community here in Australia and, and others that it's just uncontrolled by work. And it's like, actually, there's nothing further from the truth. Like it is more control than it is by work. And people tell it to me, a person they know is doing it, they tell it to me as a fact, right? Like, no, that's just uncontrolled bite work. 
what's amazing about that is that tells me that they really believe it because they're not in their head. They're not lying. They're telling that to me as though it's a fact, right? Because they know I'm part of it. They're not trying to convince me that it's uncontrolled white work, but the, the thing is they have been convinced. And that's one of the things like when I talk about the ends justifying the means, like part of the issue that we have, it's not just, you know, I think I'm, I'm sure that people are probably framing what we're saying as being like tool bands and that kind of stuff. It's not at all. It's everybody across everything in the, in the dog world. Like I would, I just want to see more cohesion. And I know that pointing the finger at people and asking for cohesion is ironic, but I just don't know how else to fucking do it. Right. Because what I think people don't understand is take that, for example, where a lot of people are saying that PSA is uncontrolled bite work. Bite sports is on the chopping block in Australia, right? We've already lost it in Melbourne from Victoria. It's gone. And that's going to creep around the rest of the country. That's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years, probably at the most, right? And so one of the things that drives me insane is when people say, oh, well, you know, it's the ends justifies the means. I know that to be bullshit, that PSA is uncontrolled bite work, but I'm going to tell people anyway, because that's going to get a competitor to my game or to people who would breed dogs, you know, that, that want to do that sport instead of my sport, whatever. I want that sport gone. And it's like, but you're overlooking the truth to try and achieve your end state. And I think that the risk of that is that the truth will come out and that will expose everybody. So, you know, and, and this has happened when people contact me and say, you know, like government people, fortunately it hasn't been the people who make the decisions yet, but I'm sure the day's coming where they contact me and they say, Hey, we hear you're someone to talk to about bite sports in Australia. What can you tell us? I say, come out and you can see my dog. When I get my dog out of the car, who's totally neutral to decoys, right? Can work around them and I can put people in the suit and I can safely bite. And because I've prepared him for this and he is a truly a sport dog, I can say to people like, put your hand over your, your left shoulder there where he would bite you and he won't bite you. He'll go lower. He won't bite your fucking hand because I've trained him to be a sport dog. Like we've put so much work into that to keep him safe, to do that kind of thing. And what's going to happen is they're going to go, that is not uncontrolled bite work. That is extremely controlled bite work. Right. And the problem then is then they're going to look back at the people who are saying that that's uncontrolled bite work and find uncontrolled bite work, right? So like this cohesion point, I don't want to have to be fighting all the time. I want people to just have to be honest with each other and let's stop trying to fuck each other over in any way, shape or form. Like let's support each other in every way that we possibly can because I'm getting sick of fucking fighting it. I really, I truly am getting sick of fighting everyone within the dog world. I'm, I'm sick of having to defend everything that I do to people who should know better. And I get explaining what I do. I'm absolutely on board. And, and that's my strength. I fucking educate people. That's what I do. I want to do that, but it's getting harder and harder to even get the opportunity to do that because people are blocking it out, right? People are just saying, no, like, I don't want to hear it. I've made up my mind and I don't care about the truth. I have decided that's how I feel. And that's what we're seeing from, you know, your ability to train a pet dog you know, with a leash and collar of any kind, all the way up to competitive bite sports and the cool things you can do with your dog is people just who are decided, this is how I feel about this because of my own motivations. And I'm not interested in hearing any of your data or accurate points that are contrary to my feelings. Wow. Very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Some very powerful emotions there, Mr. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Mate, it's just been an interesting week. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like not it. just been an interesting week. It's been a hard two plus years. Like we said at the start, at the preamble at the start, it's two plus years of having to deal with this sort of shit. Because of that, I think people are half going mad with their attraction to sitting online and not really getting involved in the pragmatic side. But there's a lot of theory that's been going around. To give an example of that, like somebody approached me the other day and said, what are your thoughts? And I found this hard to answer. I actually did find this hard to answer, but they said, what are your thoughts when there's a, a highly competent person in the bite sports world that has got online and pretty much put out posts that say, unless you're at my standard, you're not really anything in the dog world, but I've got a course that's online. And if you do this course, then you can get up to that standard. And they said, how does that make you feel? I said, look, I've got to be honest, I don't know how to feel about that. Those sort of things surprise me when people do things like that. Like, yes, I'm all about raising the bar and raising standards. I think that is definitely what we want to do. And I said, but I think sometimes it comes down to 
a very poorly communicated way of doing that. And I've seen evidence of that throughout these last couple of years where I think the message was supposed to come out a lot better than what it was, but it doesn't represent that way. And it once again starts dividing communities and people have strong feelings about it on whether they want to proceed or be involved with these type of people anymore or anybody. Sometimes they just go, fuck it. You're all a bunch of lunatics. I just, I don't want to be in this industry if, if that's how it's represented. That's terrible. That's a sin when that sort of thing happens to our community. And it reminds me during the week, one of our listeners, a guy called Nick messaged me and he goes, have you seen the show on Netflix? I think Vikings Valhalla. And it comes off the original Viking series with Ragnar Lothbrook's exploits. And it's like a hundred years in the future. And there's a spoiler alert. So if you want to watch the show and you don't want to hear me talk about it, then fast forward to the next five minutes. However, what happens in the show is the then King of England, even in the first opening scenes, he lures the Danes who have all collaborated and worked alongside and served England as their, their studies, their bodyguards, their defenders, and they form their own community. So the king invites all the noblemen and all the heads of the community to a feast. And while he does that, he's got an extermination crew that surrounds the village and literally murders everybody. Like they literally exterminate every single Dane because they're feeling the threat of the Danes in the community. Like the Red Wedding. Yes, exactly like that. This obviously sends massive ripples back to the Norwegian, Danish, Greenlandish communities who are all part of that Viking sort of community back then. And and they are just absolutely outraged that this has happened in England. So they set off on a quest of revenge. Under the King of Finland at the time, King Canute, they all collaborate and they all sail off to the shores of England to seek their revenge. And because their army is quite large and they're intelligent and they are using some pretty unique strategies and the former king has passed away and his young, ambitious, but blindly arrogant son has tried to take over and, you know, one thing leads to another and they face a massive defeat at the hands of the Viking army. Once they achieve this, they sort of fragment into their groups and you can just see the downfall of all of them because they just go about fucking each other over. And I just thought to myself, (laughs) you know, like when they were one large powerful army, they used their resources. They all came together. There was some squabbling and power play that goes on, which is normal, but they were largely successful in their outcome of revenge. It was just a largely successful campaign. But what really drove me insane by watching this is like, I kept thinking to myself, fucking hell, that's just, that's human life on every level at some stage, really, isn't it? Like, and yeah. you, you just see it, it just sees echoes of the dog training community because when we come together and when we all work together, we're so powerful and we're so committed. And there's not really any mountain that we can't punch a hole through it. But the problem is, is that as soon as those objectives are met, we just fragment and then we're basically like, okay, we've got nothing better to do. Let's kill each other off, which. Yeah. just fucking makes me want to claw my eyes out. I don't yeah. understand this. Like I know that some people need a rest from the community. I had to have a rest from the community. There are older episodes where I completely talk about my time that I had to have some respite from the industry. And I agree, people need to do that. They do need to have some respite. Even recently, I've got friends and colleagues that have been involved in organizations for their own personal need or just not seeing eye to eye or whatever it is. Lots of things where they've just said, look, I just need a break. I just need to walk away. I just need to clean slate for a while. And I agree. When there is no good answer, that's the best answer is go and clear your head and work on positive thoughts. Like think about things where you could be affecting your time more productively rather than staying and remaining angry and remaining vengeful or whatever thoughts are popping into your head at that time. I do think those people have the right answer when they say, I just need a a walk away and and to to clean my head for a little bit of time. And sometimes I think it's a pipe dream. I just, I don't think people can ultimately work together all the time long-term, but I really hope that people listen to this with the intention that it, or with the desire that we're trying to put it out there is that we do need each other now more than ever. You know, the plus R communities need us just as much as we need them. 
Otherwise, they won't see the undercurrent coming to drag them out and drown them all. You know, they won't know it's coming for them because, you know, I talked to Malamire people about this quite a lot. I said, there won't be long, you know, five to 10 years before the males become the new pit bulls. They're becoming largely popular. A lot more people want them. Reckless people will get their hands on them. They'll do stupid things. And before you know it, they'll be the headline disaster dog. They'll be the next dog that's mauling children or people or causing problems, you know, and I can see people's attempts with that movie dog that's got Tatum Channing in it, where there's been campaigns of people saying, you know, like, please think about this. Don't go out and impulse buy this dog just because you've seen it appear in a movie. These are difficult dogs to live with if they're not trained properly. They can be wonderful assets. But what they're ultimately saying is we don't want this dog to become ultimately popular, modified or bred to the point of ridiculousness where these dogs are just in every second household across nations and all of a sudden people realize I can't handle this dog. I've seen a lot of posts about that and it's been really interesting. Some of them I really agree with and some of them I just think, man, fucking hell, like everybody has to get a first dog at some point, right? Like everybody that has Mallies now had a first one at some point. Mm. And and it, it's I think one of the issues with that is there's you know the messaging around that. Like of course everybody is somewhat concerned that it'll be just like when, you know, 101 Dalmatians came out and suddenly Dalmatians were the the most popular dog and there's already a very shallow gene pool in that and trying to breed more and more of them and led to a lot of issues. I get it. But in just the last five years, this is the third time this has come around, right? There was a movie about a different military working dog that came out. There was John Wick and there's now this one, right? So it, it hasn't been this giant explosion that people are super worried about. It, it hasn't gone crazy. And I think rather than saying to people, hey, you shouldn't own a Mali, and I think there's this constant sort of rhetoric around the active lifestyle of the Malinois, which like I think is crazy, right? What we should all be doing, and, and I've seen some really good posts to this effect, is saying like, hey, I have a Mali, you know, I work with them professionally. This is what they're really like. This is the level of commitment that it takes. And it's not active lifestyle because I think that's what a lot of people, certainly, you know, the average Jono that's going to get a dog is like, oh, I run every day. The dog can come with me. And it's like, well, he can't for the first 12 months of his life, you know? So like, you're going to have a very high energy dog that needs a lot of work, but he just can't go for a run with you going your 10K run every day while he's a puppy. You're going to wreck him. And second, that's only going to make him weapon fit. <laughs> That's not going to satisfy him in any way, shape or form. Right. Mm. So as a community, especially of people who do cool things with dogs, that is a dwindling community. We should, rather than be saying to people, you shouldn't get this dog. We should be saying like, Hey, if the dog fits, get it. But then these are the cool things you can do. And this is a club of people that train that way. And these are the, the trainers that you should get in touch with. And these are the things that that dog requires, right? Rather than just saying, you shouldn't have one. No one should be getting a Mali. It should be like, hey, if you choose to get one, these are the breeders you should go to, right? Like these are the bloodlines that you should look into. These are the sports that you should look to do with that dog. This is the type of training you should look to do with. Here's a guy that I know that can do the, you know, do your development for you and all these sorts of things because we need to grow as a community and we need new people. That's one of the things that sort of is, is amazing to me is like, I wish fucking more people had Mallies, right? Because one of the things that annoys me in the dog training space is especially, you know, to rel- this relates to PSA as well. So like a lot of the really good dog trainers in Australia, really fucking good dog trainers just have still their rando dog that they got when they got into dog training. So they've got this like nine-year-old staffy cross thing, right? That really can't do anything very much with because it was never a high drive dog. It was a reactive dog when they got it. And that's how they became a dog trainer. And now they're an exceptionally skilled dog trainer and they're training other people's dogs all day, every day. But they've got this fear of Mallies. And I think that that constant rhetoric that we see people trying to talk people out of Mallies, you're not really going to change anyone's mind, right? Like the people who have that sort of like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough, whether I should get one. All you're doing is reinforcing it for them. And the people who are like, yeah, I'm going to get one. They're never going to hear you anyway, right? So like they're they're never going to pay attention to a bunch of dog trainers saying don't get one because they're not in the dog training community. They're just going to get one themselves anyway. And what drives me crazy is like, this is the calls I get. You know, I get people contact me and they're like, hey, uh, here you're the Mali guy in Sydney. I want to do bite work and stuff. And I'm like, cool, man, we've got a club and everything. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to like dog to be able to bite people. And I'm like, oh, 
and they've got no skill, right? Like they've never trained a dog or anything before. And those people always end up with the best goddamn dogs, which is very annoying. And then you get dog trainers who are exceptional, exceptional fucking dog trainers. And they're like, oh, I don't know if I can handle a Mally. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's plenty of random Jonos that are doing just fine with a Mally, right? Like you need a Mally and, and you have the skill set. You 100% have the skill set. But what they're doing is they're paying attention to the people who are saying you don't have the skill set because they're in the chamber of those people. They see the media of the people saying, you don't have the skill set to get a mallet. And so they're just like, you know, get more imposter syndrome. They're like, oh, I'm not going to get one. But the people who are just like, oh, I'm going to get a dog that bites, they're the ones that are getting the dogs and then are like, don't have the skill set. And they're, they're not in the chamber of hearing that they shouldn't. And the reason I'm mad passionate about this is because I did that, right? Like I saw, I didn't see a movie, but I saw a military working dog for realsies tear someone to pieces. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm buying one of those as soon as I get back to Australia and did. And then was like wildly out of my depth. And here we are. However, many years later, here we are talking Mallies and I love them. Turned out great. Yep. I wish that story came true as many times as it did with you. But the thing is, what is the percentage that it does? Like how many people get a dog and then go, okay, well, I've got to train this thing, right? And I think the other thing, like what people leave out of that conversation is that the people who will fuck up the breed are not the new people. They're the people who are already in it, right? It's the people who, that movie that just came out, there's not, well, there probably is, but to a very low number of people who are running out to buy a breeding pair of Mallies right now, the people that are going to see that movie and decide, oh, I want to get one of those, they're going to be buying one from somebody who's already in the industry right now. And that's who we should be holding to account, right? Like that's mm. who we should be putting their balls to the fire and saying like, hey, don't breed shit dogs for the money. And don't sell these dogs to people who have no business owning them. And in fact, if you get someone that's really motivated, but you know, doesn't have the background that you're happy for, send them in the right direction of getting that background. Like show them how to get educated, show them how to come into this space. Because like I say, like we're dwindling numbers, man. Like people who are interested in doing cool stuff with dogs, mm-hmm. we're getting rarer and rarer and harder to find. What you just said then, I totally agree with. I think that there is a lot of scope for that because responsible breeding doesn't end with just having a good pair of dogs that are sound and desirable for the work or the type that you're breeding for. It also should have a ripple effect onwards that when people are coming to buy a dog from you, you have a sound screening process in place. And I remember when I was breeding Rottweilers, there were times where I'd have pretty strong worded arguments with people. And at the end of it, I'd say, well, it's for this reason, you're not the right person to take this puppy. I remember one couple, the guy sort of stood up and did a little chest puff out at me. And I said, do you think this is helping your cause? (laughs) And he looked at me and I said, I know just about every breeder at the moment in the Rottweiler community. The minute you walk out the door, because of the way you spoke to me and my wife, there's no fucking way anybody that I know in the reputable Rottweiler breeding community will now sell you a dog. So you just haven't done yourself any justice. And I lived up to that. I literally rang every single person and just said, this guy came to me for a Rottweiler. This is the problem I had with him. Nobody would sell him a dog. He went to everybody that I know. I don't know what he ended up with. I hope nobody ever ever sold him a Rottweiler. He was completely the wrong personality to have that type of dog. I believe that should be resonated throughout the community. I do hear what you're saying, and I do agree with you that – There are good people out there who will never pull the trigger if they get imposter syndrome and they see people talking like this and they say, oh, well, you know, I was having doubts about myself. What should happen in that case? And once again, I believe you explained it really eloquently, is that people should be saying to them, why don't you go and meet with a group such as a PSA group or a Mondio group or an IPG group that trains these dogs for the sport that they were bred to train in and go and speak with the people and see what they're like and go and hang out there. You know, and even if they're a bit standoffish, prove your mettle. Come back again the next week. Be useful. Speak to people and be supportive within the club. Even if you haven't got a dog, go there and sweep the floors for a little bit or help bring in the gear or something like that while you're being educated on what the dog is, what it's bred for, how it works, what the relationship is with the people and their dogs. Learn more about it. And if you're involved in these clubs... Why don't you promote that? 
you know, maybe you'll get another member. Maybe you'll get a better decoy in your club or another decoy, or maybe you'll get a, a member that will make you proud of them, that they will show you the accolades of them being able to work in the sport simply because you were sowing the seeds. And, you know, there's an, a good old saying that says, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. And that means that if you do spend time with people and they are hardworking and they are dedicated and they are turning up, then look to invest in those people because they're your future. You know, as you age and you get older and your club gets older, you want it steeped in good history of people that you promoted and you helped them grow and you really spent time sowing that seed. It's been a weird time and it's especially difficult at the moment. You know, I think with all the bullshit that's going on, weather-wise, even here in Australia, the floods and all that kind of shit and you know, we're on the brink of fucking international war currently. It's a, it's a tricky time. And I think that as we wrap it up, my sort of plea to the industry is to work together as much as possible. Like I said before, and like, I'm kind of down at the moment on it all just because I'm sick of fighting people. I'm sick of having to defend things that I do when I, you know, I I don't think that I'm doing anything that I shouldn't be doing. I don't go after anybody else. I'm not telling anybody else they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. In fact, I, I like anybody that's doing anything cool with dogs, I support it 100%. No mm. matter what, no matter what style they're doing, it's like if you're doing something cool, that's rad. I want you to do more of it. I, I want to be involved in it. I want to, I want to play as well. And I think that if I can, I, I want to convince people to do the same. Like I say, it's just, it's a frustrating time. I feel very flat on it at the moment. And it's that pushing the car analogy thing, especially trying to getting the sport going here. It's hard. Like every time I look at my dog, you know, I was just out training with Jazz just now. And, you know, he's like, I'm staring down the barrel of not achieving what I wanted to achieve with that dog. And it's totally, it, it's not my fault. It's, it's no one's fault. It's a global, it's the, whoever let the fucking Corona out of the bag, it's their fault, right? Like mm. it's, it's a really frustrating time. That's how I feel. And I'm sure that there's plenty of other people who for their own reasons feel similar and, and don't have a, a platform where they get to talk to 40,000 people and tell them that. So that's me saying it. And I hope that everybody can kind of work together a little bit in that, that regard. Yeah, I hear you, man. And I, I, I can testify to your plight where I know that you've been very supportive of people. I mean, there's even been times where, you know, like I've had a different thought process and yet I've heard you rattle off a lot of your research in support of other people doing things. And I've thought to myself, that's actually a much better way of looking at it than my original concept. So I know that you have been very supportive of a lot of people in the industry. Individually and collectively, I think we both are for a lot of reasons as much as we can be. And to go back, quickly circle back into what I was saying before, I understand why people need to walk away from things in the industry sometimes, to take a break, to change a little direction, to have a course correction here and there. I understand why that happens. I've had to do it many times myself. All I'm saying to the people who do make the time to listen to this is it's very important in one way or another that we do reach out to people and we do sit down with them or whatever way that we're going to find some way of communicating it is we really need each other now more than ever. Like this industry will thrive and it will survive based on what we do next, how we collaborate. Using that example of talking about the the Vikings movie, There's no point in going out to achieve a a massive objective only to splinter off to fight amongst each other again. You know, that's literally the demise of any great kingdom or any great civilization. The way that we do it is we find some way to work cohesively together and not listen to people with the intent to reply. Listen to people and then hear what they say, maybe go away and think about it and come back with a rational outcome rather than an angry or an irrational one. And that's me dropping the mic. Mm, that's the truth. Oof. I'm going to do the wrap up. Hey, what a rough episode. If you're still here, if you made it this far, <laughs> next episode, I want to, if we haven't been able to organize a guest, we need to sort of go through the list and see if we can get some of the people that we've been trying to organize, get, get some timings going. But if it's not that, what I want to do is like a, a Q&A style episode because I think that's how we can bring ourselves back to dog training and really get into, you know, providing value rather than sort of 
you know, whinging at the industry like we have just been for a couple of episodes now. I want to get back to providing as much value as we possibly can. And I think the best way to kickstart that is like a, a asking questions episode. I really enjoy those episodes, you know, where we get people to ask on Facebook and we can answer questions and, and bullshit our way through that. So that's, that's always fun. So if you've made it this far, the day that this comes out, I'll put a post into the discussion group and jump in there and, you know, in the comments against that ask your questions and we'll we'll do that on the next episode. You know, it'd be fun in the vein of that is rather than just ask them in the forum and have them there, like what we could do is they could ask them in the forum, but then let's say, we, for example, we pick half a dozen really good questions is we actually Skype that person in to ask that question in the episode and we have a little bit of back I and forth. Idea, Glenn. I love it. I love that idea. But I think the logistics, because we've talked about this in the past, and then when we tried to organize it, the logistics of it was a shit show. Trying to organize the time to have people on. Remember, we tried to do like a group discussion one about the fur baby. Uh, um, we did too. The, the use of that. And it was just trying to organize the timings. And especially when we were trying to get like five or six people, it, then it's like every new person that we want to have on is another variable of disaster. I think it's a great idea. I totally want to do it, but the chances of us pulling it off, it's hard enough for us to find a time to talk to each other. Yes. Yes, it has been. And, and that's <laughs> largely just because of the weather at the moment. Yeah. Weather and work. Mm. Anyway, we'll figure it out. But that's it. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, just like, rate, share, subscribe. There's two ways you can really spread the word that are really effective. The first is to just yell as loud as you can in a busy place. Everyone should listen to the Canon Paradigm. That's probably the, the most effective way to do it. Like you, like at some sort of work meeting or on the train or on the bus or something like that, just a, find a crowded place, scream at the top of your lungs, hey, you guys have got to listen to these two Australian dickheads. It's called the Canon Paradigm. Another way to do that too is you could just find an influencer in the industry and go and stick one of our stickers all over their car. <laughs> yeah. yeah that'd go down well yeah another way if you don't want to build yourself a little soapbox stand on it and just start screaming uh another way would be when you're listening to the show especially if there's a part of it you like you could just screenshot your phone with the podcast thing open and then post it on your social media tag us we'll share it we'll like just help us grow help help more people get into the our oodle loop yeah, well, look, listen, we've just talked about apathy in general and a lot of times, you know, people say, oh, you know, what can I do to help you guys? You know, like I'm a Patreon, I've been supporting the show. The other way you could do that, as you mentioned before, Pat, is that you can get onto all of the forums that support or that you're listening to our show. Like if you're on Spotify, please rate and review us, like actually get on there and type it out. It doesn't take long. I know it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but really it doesn't take long, but it has a real ripple effect on our show it it helps the algorithm spotify in the back end of their programming they reward you the more people are you know like the algorithm will actually signal back to spotify hey this they've got a lot of people that listen to the show and rate them we should promote their podcast a little bit more so we start showing up in 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 better places i was listening to another dog training podcast recently and then because i was listening to that my podcast app was recommending other podcasts. Mm. And so I thought, oh, I'm in the car for another couple of hours. I'll listen to one of these. And I listened to an episode. I won't say who it was because I want to get them on the show and I don't want to, if it doesn't work out, I don't want to cause a thing. But it was really good. And it was recommended to me because it had a million reviews. That's why it happens. Then the iTunes knows you like dog podcasts. Here's another one that gets reviewed really well. Right. So that's, that's what right. we want to do for us so that we so that other people see us as recommended. Mm. Anyway, that's it. If you want to support the show, do that. But the best way to support us financially is Patreon. There's a lot of people in the Patreon who really, really, truly appreciate you guys more than you could ever possibly know. I'm always working hard trying to come up with content to go into there. The last long form thing that I put a lot of work into, in fact, I like on my own dime went to the States to film for it was the PSA Nationals. And I, like, I won't lie, I've hit a wall on trying to put that together. I'm at a bit of an impasse, right? So like I can finish it and put it out, but it's not what I want. I want some more stuff. So I'm sort of at a, uh, I'm trying to decide whether I should finish that and put it out or whether I should wait until I can go back and get more of what I wanted to get. But at any rate, I'm still making other stuff to go into there. We still do lives every month. Um, there's heaps of value to be had in there. So if you, if you want to support the show, 
couple of bucks a month or three bucks a month gets you access into there. 10 bucks gets you access to the lives. I, I'm trying as hard as I can to provide as much value to you guys as like as possible in there. And that is what keeps the show ticking over. That pays all the bills. That mm. gets us all the equipment that we need. I'm almost sure that the show probably would still be here, but it wouldn't be what it is without Patreon. That's for No sure. way. No way known would we had the technical prowess so, and equipment to pull it off without the Patreon help. Yeah. So to those of you who are in the Patreon or have been, thank you very, very, very much. We really, truly appreciate you more than you could possibly know. Another way to support the show is to jump into Teespring and get yourself some cool merch. That's the place to get some T-shirts, some wall tapestries, some underpants, that kind of stuff. Get yourself some cool merch, represent us. Just quickly circling back to our social media, with Instagram, we're heading up to about 9,000 subscribers. Do you call it right? 9,000 9, people. Uh, follow- yeah. Followers, so, I think, yeah, right? we're up 9,000 followers on Instagram. I really I want to get 10K and above. So if you can helping recruit people in, you know, like if every one person in there got pulled two more people, that would make it a really easy job to get past that 10K marker. And as you know, like Instagram rewards you for being up at the 10K mark. So help us out, guys. If you can spread the word on the gram, get us out there. You know, like I try and put up some funny memes and some show shorts and everything on there and so forth. But if there's something else you want to see us doing on Instagram, let us know as well. Yep. Great idea. Jeez, we're a bunch of beggars this episode, aren't we? Asking people for Well, everything. we're nothing without our fans, <laughs> to be honest. You know, like everybody who, every performing artist around the world, uh, you got to pay back and give back to your fans. But it also, it does not only pay to look after them, but also to uh, sometimes remind them that you need their help. Yeah, we do need everyone's help. All right. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the discussion group on Facebook. That's where I'm going to post about the Q&A. So if you're not in there, you won't get a chance to ask Qs and have me A. And if you want to get in touch with us individually, shoot us messages. Or if it's for both of us, you could shoot us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. Goodbye. (laughs) 